21CL Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we are so happy to have you here. Today, I head to the North Island of New Zealand to talk with Gina Harder and Yana Benson. Agency, self-directed learning, rocks and learning pits. These are not the words you might typically hear to describe an elementary school on the North Island of New Zealand. But after listening to today's guests, Gina and Yana, it will all make sense. The Stonefields School, located outside of Auckland, is a unique, highly collaborative learning environment designed to bring independence and more to students in years 1 through 8. Gina and Yana discuss the details of the school, the foundations of its values, and its overall learning culture. Enjoy the conversation. Gina and Yana, welcome to the program. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Yana Benson, and I work closely with the leadership team at Stonefields School, and I'm also an across-school leader for our community of learning. And hi, my name is Gina Hardware. I'm one of the associate principals here at Stonefield School and I work alongside teachers in growing teacher effectiveness, supporting them to reflect on their impact and shifting outcomes for our learners. Well, wonderful to meet you too. And we're going to be hearing more from you soon at the uh, Global Leadership Conference we have here in Bangkok. Or if you're listening to this podcast a little bit later, you'll have to uh, perhaps have seen them or listened here to see what they talked about. But we need to learn a little bit more about your school. So for the listener there, let's say they bumped into you in an elevator and they looked over at you and they said, uh, hey, Yana, uh, what is this school about? Tell me about this. Um, I'd have to tell them that we are an innovative and transformative school. Um, we're very edgy and we want to remain that way. I'd also say that we don't want to smooth off those edges. So for our teachers, this means that they have freedom. Um, we've got, we also encourage it to, our teachers to push boundaries and take risks. We've got a really strong vision and language of learning here at Stonefield School, and that enables our learners to take ownership of their learning. These are our learning pit, our learner qualities, and our learning process, which I'm sure we can talk to you a bit more about. That sounds good. So, you know, hiring edgy teachers, I bet you have to have some sort of vision or whatever to help align the personality you want with the school quality that you have. And Gina, I wanted to ask you about your vision. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Now, it says your vision rocks. So there's either rocks within the vision or we, maybe we can just make the declarative statement that it rocks. But within the vision, there's, there's four statements here, or four rocks, I should say. You have building learning capacity. So I understand that. You yeah. have collaborating. Okay, that makes sense. Making meaning. All right, that makes sense. But the last one, breaking through. So that's new to me. Why did you guys include that? And what does that mean? Right. So simply put, um, breaking breaking through or breakthrough, as we call it, um, on a day-to-day -day basis is passion-led learning. It provides an opportunity for our learners to explore their passions, their interests, um, explore their curiosities, and really have a license to take risks in their learning and effectively, in doing that, drive their own learning. We invest about 20% of our week to breakthrough, and if you were to step into Stonefield School, you would see breakthrough learning on a Friday. And our learners run to school on Fridays. And every year when we survey our learners, their voice is saying they want more breakthrough time. So as a school, we're left wondering how do we embrace that to increase more breakthrough learning time and knowing that our learners run to school on Fridays. 
Right, because we don't want them running away Monday through <laughs> Thursday, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I'm curious about that. So, you know, you have the 20% rule that used to be popular, let's say, at Google at one point, which I, a lot of educators have talked about that. Are you guys seriously considering going to 40% or 60% or what would be some of the considerations you'd have to think about before you'd make a switch like that? Like what would hold you back? I think we'd have to consider what the design of learning would look like in incorporating breakthrough as part of that. And I think we are looking and wondering and thinking about how we um, increase that time, knowing that it does hook and engage our learners. Um, so it's something for us to, to really think and ponder as a school. And we haven't really arrived at how or what that's going to look like. Right. And is it hard for a, for a year one student to have that sort of freedom? There must be scaffolding, of course, that goes in place. I know for adults, it would be tough. Absolutely. And you're correct. We, we, the process of breakthrough is very much scaffolded from the early years where they um, have teachers to support them and gathering their voice in terms of their passions and interests and then guiding them through that process. However, in the senior end of the school, where our learners are perhaps more agentic, they're able to drive that for themselves. So they're putting in proposals to teachers to say, ah. this is the particular um, passion that I want to explore. And then teachers obviously are asking the questions, well, how do you how does that, how do you go through the learning process in terms of um, driving your own learning and what will that learning look like? Okay, I see. Now, let's, let's turn towards the teachers a little bit. So, Yana, your teachers, and as we've talked about, your students have lots of independence with their learning. And you guys have something I read on the website called the learning pit. Now, is that where everybody goes and then they throw a bunch of fuel in there and they light everybody up and then, you know, brilliance comes out of there? Or is it where people get punished? Or is it a happy place where people come up with ideas? Oh, it's a pretty exciting place to be, and we celebrate being in the learning pit. There's actually quite a nice metaphor because our school here is uh, based in a quarry. So those rocks um, from our vision rocks and also being actually in the learning pit relates to the, the quarry itself as well. Mm. But um, one of our learners said, I now feel comfortable being uncomfortable in my learning, and I think that says it all about the learning pit. Um, so for us, it's about not knowing, it's about making mistakes and, uh, and failure. They're all celebrated here at Stonefield School. So I suppose in that, in regards to that, it's about getting out of I'm stuck situations and that that's actually not left to chance. Um, also for us, the learning pits are very much a part of our language of learning. So it's intentionally taught and it gives learners the strategies to use and knowing what to do when they don't know what to do. So it's starting to sound, you've, you guys have mentioned mistakes are okay a couple times. So it sounds like vulnerability is appropriate. Is, is there an expectation from students and teachers that they show vulnerability when it comes to their learning or their ideas that they might be using for students? Yeah, absolutely. That vulnerability, um, modeling as well, that us as teachers and still as learners ourselves, we often get stuck. We're often in the learning pit um, and that it's an okay place to be. And it's quite exciting um, and it's about celebrating that and helping students, as I say, with the right strategies to get out of the learning pit and celebrate success. Okay. So, Gina. Yes. You want to talk, let's talk a little bit about learner qualities. Does that sound like fun? Yeah, it does. Okay. I'll list them here. So, they are to be determined, to be self-aware, to connect, to question, to think, to reflect, and wonder. So, as a student in year three, can I raise my hand and say, teacher, I don't know why you're saying that. I think it's wrong. Well, I think there's ways that we do do that. So using our learner dispositions, which we call uh, learner qualities, okay, it's part of our shared language of learning alongside the learning pit. So it really underpin 
underpins the pit in terms of providing our learners with strategies to get themselves out of the pit. So our learner qualities help to support and grow that resilience in both our learners and teachers. And as mentioned, there are seven learner qualities which we explicitly teach and we really give time to this as much as we would give time to teaching collaboration or core curriculum areas. Um, it's that shared language of learning that we also have reiterated through our reward system. We have like stickers and little certificates that reflect that. When we're reporting to our parents, we really discuss and report around those soft skills, as we call them, and communicating to our school community. So when you talk about shared language, in a sense that the tribe is using the same unique descriptions, perhaps for learning, so that they show that they're working together. Is that correct? That is correct. So you often might hear a learner saying, well, I'm being self-aware because I didn't understand this number strategy. Can you please help me? So you'll hear it in the way that learners are languaging the learner qualities, how teachers are supporting them to scaffold that language as well, and how that we're using not just in reward systems or giving out stickers, but how we're growing their ability to use that language. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Yana, can we talk a little bit about culture? Absolutely, yep. So there's the culture of the school, and Yana, are you part of the hiring maybe? Um, not in particular, no. But I've been but, hired, so I've been through the process. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's I'm wondering. So how do you – so when they're looking to hire people, they're going to want a certain type of person that's going to mix or match within the culture itself. Yeah. And I want to ask you a couple questions about that. Maybe the first one would be – so you're asking people to think and independently, but at the same time you're asking them to be collaborative. Is it hard to find somebody who can do both? Because lots of times those of us who would think independently may not be so interested in somebody else's views or we won't feel like we're unique. Yeah, I think for us, um, we're, we're told at the onset, and I remember this being discussed at, during my interview, that we do things differently around here and that we're not a school for everyone. Um, so I think we need to be comfortable with that first and foremost when we do um, start work at Stonefield mm -hmm. School, and we don't leave things to chance. So we actively work on getting the culture right, and that's very intentional in the work that we do. We sometimes refer to our hubs as working like arranged marriages, <laughs> and our teachers <laughs> are placed in hubs, and they just have to get on. So what helps us and um, guide us in that thinking and in that space is that there's a quote by Judith Glasser that talks about um, – it was getting to, to the next level of greatness and that depending on the quality of the culture, the quality of the relationships and the conversations. And for us at Stonefields, we believe that everything happens through those conversations and that they're an opportunity for collaborative sense-making. So for us, open to learning conversations, going straight to the source and having the hard-to-have conversations are just in the expectation here. So simply put, it's about discussing the undiscussables. Um, and I think when we talk about culture and being a part of this team or this school, I think ultimately there's a sense of we're all in this together and that it's about we go, not ego. This also leads into what we know about our hubs that do hum. And for those hubs, there's a relentless focus to intentionally grow the collective efficacy, the responsibility, and that they have a shared purpose to improve. So our synergetic teams, um, is what we call those hubs that hum, they have the greatest impact on student outcomes. And when we do a point for the right fit, um, we're thinking about it has to fit for both for both people, has to fit for us and it has to fit for the teacher. And so we appoint for the right fit rather than perhaps the most experienced or the highest qualification. 
Okay. So, Yana, how long has the school been around? We have been around since 2011, and I know that the it was starting to be established in 2010. Okay. So, basically, since 2011, you've been doing it. And I, I, am I right to assume that you started maybe with three grades and then grew a grade each year? Yeah. So, we started off with 48 learners, and um, we have significantly grown since then. And we're predicted to grow to about 1,000 learners in a few years' time. Okay, so that's, that's why I wanted to lead to the question about uh, culture and scale. So 48 students and however many teachers, pretty easy to create your culture. But now you're at 630, I think you said last time that we talked before the show, and then you're looking now to go to 1,000. Is it difficult to scale that culture at some point? Is the community too large, and then you end up with too many subcultures inside? Is that a concern or something you see yourselves having to work against? Well, I think that's the thing is that we it has been very intentional work and that's something that we continue to focus on. We continue to ask ourselves about the subcultures and breaking those down so we know that for our organisational culture to be healthy, we need to have all our hubs working as a green synergetic team, so to call it. Um, yeah, so, so we actively work in that space and it's very intentional. It's part of our professional learning. And as I say, it's about having those conversations. And we give a lot of time to teachers to have those conversations and value that. So like so you set up time to say, I don't like you time, and we can talk it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, uh, we, we do talk about going straight to the system, And we do talk about having those um, hard-to-have conversations. So in some ways, yeah, we, we do have to make time for it. So, I, I, yeah, I'm wondering how difficult this is. So, I mean, as a teacher, you need to, you're responsible for your kids, you're responsible for the curriculum you're going to deliver, and then you're responsible for relationships mm-hmm. with other teachers. Is this one of the, because of the expectations you have at the school, will teachers have to focus more on relationships than they might at a typical school? And is that hard? I think so, yeah. We, we do um, focus very much on relationships. Um, at the start of the year, we often do sort of team building type work. Um, we have a day where we go and work proactively in that space of building those relationships. And, yeah, I think that sets the culture for, for the rest of the year. But as we know, things can go wrong, but, and, and we're okay with that, and we address it. You just throw them in the learning pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless it, maybe there's another pit you're not talking about in, in addition. <laughs> All right, let's turn to agency. So agency is a word that's been more popular in the last few years, and it's you know student agency taking charge of their own learning. And we talked about that already a little bit with the 20% time and stuff. So do you have anything more, Yana, you'd wanted to say about agency and how that impacts the school? Yeah, I think we've actually spent quite a lot of time discussing this as a learning community and also making sure that we have a shared understanding of what agency is and why it's important. Um, So we're continuing to define and refine our work in that space. We look closely at what we're currently doing and what we already have in place, and that's our graduate learner profile and, as Gina talked of earlier, our learner qualities, and saying which aspects of these are related to agency. I think also to highlight that breakthrough is really an important part of the learning design, and we can say that agency is really highlighted here at our school, and as you discussed earlier, saying what might a flipped model to that be if it's that powerful, why not spend 80% of our week on breakthrough learning? Sure, that makes sense. All right, so Gina, i got a question for you. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of schools out there that do new, you know, nowadays especially, well, not a lot, there's a few, let's say that, do new ways of learning and teaching, and then often the question will be, well, 
doesn't make a difference. And, mm-hmm. and so there's that question about measurement. One of my first thoughts is, is it possible to realistically measure change? Do we have the right measurement tools? Mm-hmm. Or maybe using the existing ones, you guys have seen dramatic change. So you're more the data person. Can you tell me what the results are that you see from your type of learning versus maybe a school next door? Well, as a school, we're really mindful of being responsive to the needs of all our stakeholders. And so in doing so, we're continually gathering voice from our learners, our teachers, our communities. And we do this through surveys and parent-teacher connects, informal discussions, and through also having focus groups. So the more voice we gather, the better informed we are of our next steps. And I think it's something that's important to note. We are really deliberate with when we gather voice um, at our school. And we don't gather voice at times when we are humming and we're our best selves we actually gather voice when there's a lot of things on top for example if we've got reporting to parents coming up we tend to send out our surveys to our teachers to see um, what voice we get back and I think we get the real measure of our oil as an organization and real transparency of our feedback when we're not at our best selves and as Jana mentioned, and we're continuing to mention, we don't leave things to chance. We're really deliberate and intentional in some of the work that we do. So over the years, from I think from as early as 2014, we've been gathering um, data through our surveys. And these are questions that we formulate as a leadership team uh, around various aspects of how we um, role as a school, so to speak. And that really is our measurement in terms of seeing how much shift we're having from year to year. Mm-hmm. And it really then helps to inform us of our strategic direction and the year to come. And what are some of the other intentional work we may need to do as a result of um, the feedback that we're receiving? So are you required or expected to compare your standardized scores, the ones that would be used throughout New Zealand, with another school to see what the, see how you're comparing, whether you're doing better or same or whatever? Absolutely. So we are required to report our achievement data to the Ministry of Education. So really, we are measuring ourselves against all other schools in New Zealand. And um, we've done that through using something called the national standards. However, our new government has removed that language of national standards. So we, as a nation, are now having to work out how else we're going to, what language effectively we're going to use to measure student achievement. However, and having said that, we do look at how our learners have achieved against our New Zealand curriculum levels as part uh-huh. of measurement. And are your students uh, just from the local neighborhood or are they uh, apply to get in? Or is there any, any special way to get into the school or is it just typical for everybody? Well, we have a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. Um, we have a zoning system here in New Zealand. So there okay. are learners who are within our school zone and there are learners who are out of our school zone. And we're quite uniquely placed because we have we are in the middle of two different socioeconomic areas. So we do have learners mm-hmm. that would apply to come into the school who are out of zone. Um, and we obviously have learners who are in zone too. Okay, got it. All right, let's talk a little bit then, Gina, about, let's say I'm a parent. I I can imagine you guys have an admissions officer or somebody who gives tours of the school. And so when that person, you know, they take the tour or maybe they have their child with them and they go home and they talk to their spouse or their neighbor or their friend and say, yeah, hey, tell me about that Stonesfield tour. How did it go? Like, what is, what do you think about that place? What do you hope that somebody would say? So, yes, we have lots of uh, regular 
parent tours as we are, as mentioned, Yana mentioned, we're growing about 100 learners a year, so we do have a few of those. So we want them leaving our school thinking, wow, you know, schooling does look different to how they experience school. We really want them to think that it's a place that is committed to building that necessary knowledge and competencies for our learners to thrive and succeed, not just in learning, but in life. And that, you know, we are a school that's willing and determined to push those boundaries to cause that learning to serve all our learners. And do you think that's what the average person's going to say after the tour? I think they'll just say, wow, I want to send my child to that school. For those reasons that maybe they can't even articulate at that point. Absolutely. All right. So how, Gina, how did this school get started? You guys mentioned that there was some planning perhaps 2010, but it opened its doors in 2011. Did somebody just say, hey, let's start a different kind of school with lots of agency and a pit where people can talk? <laughs> Love that description. <laughs> um, there was a new subdivision created about the early 2000. 2000s and the early 2000s in a quarry as Yana mentioned so we are okay. a school that's built in a quarry and that was to house a population between seven to eight thousand people so the Ministry mm -hmm. of Education uh, saw the need to future-proof the development of the area and by doing that um, there were certain provisions and having a school included in the subdivision was part of that so then there was a foundation board that was appointed by the ministry at the end of 2009. Then Sarah, our principal, was appointed at the beginning of 2010, shortly joined by two associate principals six months later. And then post that, staff were then appointed in October and the school opened in February 2011. So then the foundation board, alongside Sarah, put in place a very aspirational vision and with the foundation staff, they created a strong vision for learning, which we're really um, looking forward to sharing with you at the conference. So, the yeah, my question. So, I guess my question is, yeah. why? Why not just have your typical school in the bottom of a quarry, like you would anywhere else? Not that there are that many schools in a quarry, but you know what I mean. Like, why not just your typical New Zealand school? Why make a difference? Different because. Um, you know, having a strong vision for learning and knowing what we wanted our learners to achieve after being with us after eight years of school was really something that was a real focused um, piece of the vision creation. Uh -huh. And then really looking at how we, how the vision was then collaboratively co-constructed to see what would our vision and how would our vision be translated into practice. And I think that all comes to how we view teaching and learning at Stonefield School and it's not just about learning, it's about having the vision for how we're preparing them for the world out there, so to speak. And I think that being very much led by Sarah, our principal, who really is a visionary leader and is all about thinking differently and really pushing boundaries. All right, so Yana, we haven't heard from you in a little bit, so can we give you the last question? Absolutely, go ahead. All right. Well, I always love to ask about uh, sort of the future question. So Stonefield School came up with a unique, newer idea uh, recently. Uh, but what about 10 years from now? Uh, is it going to be the same sort of idea that's continued? Or maybe will it pivot and adopt a new idea as it goes along? Is a culture expected to be that flexible? I don't know, what do you think it would be like 10 years from now or so if we were to have this conversation again? Well, I would hope that we would continue to be at the cutting edge and pushing boundaries. So what that means for me is that hopefully it will look 
quite vastly different to what it is right now. Um, part of that process would be asking ourselves what learning matters and be responsive to that for our teachers and for our learners and our whole community. Um, yeah, I suppose living in such changeable times and with such an unpredictable future, we're trying to set up our learners to forever see themselves as learners, I suppose, um, and wanting them to be great meaning makers, to be critical thinkers, and also to transfer that into what perhaps we can't quite conceive right now. Dina and Yana, thanks so much for joining us on the program today and for sharing your views all and your information all about your school. Thank, Thank you. you. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. <laughs>